Jesus said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Pastor Warren Strawbridge. One of the reasons that I chose the the couple of songs to start with um, is because the world that we live in is falling apart, isn't it? And so we can see that the foundation of a Christian is so much more solid that we can trust in God even though the world falls apart. However, I have another message for you today, um, and you can see it up there on the screen, living in the last days. I don't think we'd have any argument today with the fact that we live in the last days. I don't think anyone would argue with that point. Um, I can remember back in the, earlier on, you know, people used to say to you, well, I know they said that to my parents, but they said that to even myself, you know, why were you having children? You know, the world was going to end soon. But uh, today we can really see, can't we? We can see that the, the world is going to end soon and that Jesus is going to return. And so we have a wonderful hope of a soon returning saviour. But did you know that since Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden, we have been ruled by kings, rulers, kings, despots, emperors. And so many people have never really experienced true freedom as we experience here in New Zealand and really through the Western world. You know, we actually get to choose who rules us, who governs us for every three years. We actually get to choose that. If you think about people that lived before the Reformation, they were ruled by a king. And if you were lucky enough to get a good king, well, you were lucky. But there weren't too many good kings throughout the history of this world. So we know what it is like to have true freedom. But the sad part about that is we are seeing slowly our freedoms eroded. And we don't like it, do we? I certainly don't like it. You know, in some places in America, um, pastors have been put in jail for some of the sermons that they've preached. We look in, uh, I was thinking of California specifically, churches have been closed. And yet down the road, you have bars and nightclubs open. So as Christians, we are slowly losing our freedoms that we have enjoyed since the Great Reformation, when men like Martin Luther, Jerome, Huss, and many others, Whitcliffe, who paved the way for us to have freedom, 
One of the sad parts about the world that we live in, because we've always, you know, we like to think that when people talk to us, they tell us the truth. But we are living in a world now where people are lying to us every day. And I'll, I'll show you what I mean by that. Uh, probably about, I think it was about five years ago, Dennis Price and myself, we were uptown doing the good person test. And we were talking to this guy, and we didn't know who he was, but he stopped and he, he wanted to have a go at this good person test. So the second question we asked him was the, from the Ninth Commandment about bearing false witness, about telling lies. And we said, so have you ever told a lie in your life? And he just heartily laughed, like, <laughs> he said, I'm a journalist. I work for the Evening Standard, which is the paper in Palmerston North. He said, I have to lie. I have to lie, he said. I used to have a business where I delivered produce to shops in, in Wellington, and I had a number of um, Greek, Italian, and also uh, Chinese customers. One of the things that I noticed that if I was ever in one of these shops and they had the TV going, um, they would always be watching TV3. And, and that sort of... For me, it was rather interesting because I never watched TV3. I generally watched TV1 and certainly the news. And I said to him, why do you watch the TV3 news? And he said, it was, it was actually a, a good friend of mine, actually. I, I had a really good relationship with Spiro. And he said, well, because TV1 don't tell the truth. And I said, what do you mean by that? How could that possibly be true? And he said, well, this was about the time that Greece was being booted out of the um, European Union. I don't know if you remember that, a number of years ago. And, you know, what was being reported here in New Zealand. And he said, well, you know, this particular point and that point isn't true. And he said, when you watch it on TV3, it's different. And I have since actually noticed this myself. You see, we cannot assume that people are going to be honest to us. We can't assume that people are going to tell us the truth. What is the only thing that we can rely upon? The Word. God's Word. That's the only thing that we can be sure of. Because God never lies to us, does He? God never tells us porkies. But we don't always know if we can trust in people. And if you live long enough, you'll see that. Whether that be in relationships and families, people let each other down. And it's rather sad. So to say that the media lie to us, a number of people lie to us. And so... Thinking of that, we need a firm foundation in our life. And that firm foundation comes from God and his word. You know, one of the other things I've, I've got to point down here is that when I was a boy, the, the, um, <clears throat> the TV and the, and the papers used to report on the, on the facts of what had happened. But today, the TV and the news, they, re they report on scandals. 
scandal in the news. That's what they report on. They don't necessarily report and give you the facts of, of what actually is, is taking place. And that shows you that the news is more of an entertainment than it is finding out the truth. You know, if you can be deceived by a newspaper or by the TV, what chance do you stand of not being deceived by the devil? And, and that, that's a fair question. If you don't know what, where the truth lies, how do you expect to stand against the deceptions of the enemy? And that's one of the things that I'm going to, uh, to look at today. The importance of the word. You see, friends, if you don't read this book, you will be deceived and you will be lost. I promise you that. A Christian is not someone who goes to church on the weekend. A Christian is someone who opens God's love letter to them and reads it. And I want to talk about a couple of reasons why we need to do that. But before I go any further, I just invite you to bow your head as I pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for so many things. We have so many reasons to be grateful. We want to thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We want to thank you for the Holy Spirit and his work in our life every day. Father, we want to thank you this morning for your word and that we can stand on your word. We can trust your word. Father, we know that your word has never failed. And so today I just pray that you will help me to demonstrate the importance of us as Christians reading and living in your word. So I just pray that our hearts and minds will be opened and that you would speak through me. May the words that I speak not be mine, but yours, I pray. For I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, when you have freedom, quite often you just take it for granted. You don't realise what it costs for freedom. You know, we might read about Martin Luther. We might read about John Huss. We might read about some of those men that died for what they believed in. But sometimes we don't equate what they did with the fact that we have freedom today. You know, Protestantism in the Western world has bought so much. The way we treat women and the way that we treat minority groups is a wonderful way of understanding the world that we live in where women are, are treated as equals, where minority groups are given a voice in the country we live in. If you want to go to China or you want to go to Russia or you want to go to some other country and find out women don't have a voice and neither do minority groups. In fact, in China, they actually kill them. They harvest their organs while they're alive. While they're alive. They sedate them and they take their organs out of their body while they're alive. Those are some of the things that the Chinese government does to the minorities. 
So the fact that we have freedom should be something that we should give praise to God every day. The fact that we live in such a beautiful country, I've heard New Zealand referred to as God's own, and I really believe that it is. Well, it certainly has been. But here in New Zealand, we are slowly starting to lose our freedoms. But for, for thousands of years, this world has been ruled by corrupt governments, kings, tyrants, despots. And we see today, as I pointed out, that as people are turning away from God, that void is being filled by atheists, by unbelievers, by socialists, by communists. And that's the world that we live in today, and it's so sad to see that. But did the Bible warn us of these things that are coming upon the world? Let's have a look at some Bible verses um, and see what it says. Second Timothy, and I'm sure that it, it, all Adventists are familiar with this particular passage. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving. Slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power and from such people turn away, the Bible says. That's not a very good list, is it? Of the character of the people that are going to live in the last days. The Bible also says in Matthew 24:10, and many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. And we're living in that time when people hate each other, sometimes for such a little thing. It can be over a misunderstanding. And yet people can hate each other for such small things. One of the things that the Bible says, and we know that Jesus was speaking in, in Matthew here, the Bible says, And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. And this is talking about end times. This is Jesus talking to his disciples, saying what is going to happen in the last days. He said, Take heed that no one deceives you. Because you see, friends, deception is going to be all around us. And as I pointed out, from the media, deception we have. Sometimes even from friends and family, deception can happen. The only person that we can truly trust in is God and his word. You know, we talk about the devil. <clears throat> He's known as the serpent and the dragon. And he always works in this way, that he always tries to deceive. He tries to deceive you. If he can't deceive you, he will persecute you. 
and sometimes both. But generally, he always comes with deception first. You know, Satan fooled a third of God's holy angels that lived with God, but he can't fool you, right? Think about that, friends. Think about the fact that Satan fooled a third of the angels in heaven. You know, I wanted to use a quote from R. McLeod who said, thinking about how Satan deceived a third of the angels that were actually in the presence of God, so imagine the power he has over mere men or women that don't submit to the word of God. If you're not opening and reading the word of God, imagine the power that he has over you to deceive you. I'm just going to miss a few, um, a few uh, quotes out because of, just because of time, but I, I didn't want to miss this one out. This is George Washington. And I love this quote. I love it. Because it's true. George Washington said, It is impossible to rightly govern a nation without God and the Bible. And that's true. It is impossible. You know, they've taken prayer and the reading of the Bible, they're taking that out of our, out of our parliament. So to a, a large degree, we are, we are now no longer really a Christian nation, even though probably 40-something percent of people would count themselves as being Christian. We are now in the minority. When once upon a time, not long ago, Christianity in New Zealand was in the majority. But if you don't remember anything else from today, I want you to remember this, these quotes from Great Controversy. It's from chapter 37, the scriptures are a safeguard. And I would really like to challenge each one of you, next time you have a moment, to pick up the great controversy and to read this chapter. The whole chapter is talking about the importance of the Bible in light of those who live at the end of time, which is us. So I'm going to read these, there are three separate quotes um, from this particular chapter, and I'd like to read them out. The people of God are directed to the scriptures as their safeguard against the influence of false teachers and the delusive power of spirits of darkness. Satan employs every possible device to prevent men from obtaining a knowledge of the Bible, for in it is its plain utterances revealing his deceptions. You see, the Bible exposes the devil. It exposes his deceptions. And that's why he doesn't want you to read it. He doesn't want you to see the truth and to see his deceptions. The next quote says, The last great delusion is soon to open before us. Antichrist is to perform his marvelous works in our sight. So closely will the counterfeit resemble the true that it will be impossible, impossible to distinguish between them except by the Holy Scriptures. By their testimony, every statement and every miracle must be tested. We must have a thus saith the Lord. I don't care if it's your pastor. I don't care who it is. 
What anyone says must line up with what the Word of God says, or don't listen to them. All right, the third one <coughs> says, None but those who have fortified the mind with the truth of the Bible will stand through the last great conflict. So don't fool yourself, friends. If you are not in God's Word, you will not make it. It's not me saying that. Ellen White is saying you will not make it if you are not in God's Word reading it. If you are not seeing the deceptions that Satan has planned for the world, you will be over, overpowered, overmastered. You will be deceived. So what does the Bible say about um, things certainly in the, world, in the world that we live in today? And let's just go back to Matthew 24. Jesus said to his disciples, For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. <clears throat> Has that happened yet? There are some people in the world that call themselves Christ. Um, there's a number of men, um, Jose Marana. Um, there's a guy in the Philippines who has over a million people that follow him. There are a few people, but one thing that most people don't realize is this word many, that means most. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive most. I would like to think as Seventh-day Adventists we're a bit smarter than being deceived by a false Christ. But don't worry, Satan has more deceptions than that one. So how do we know that we're living at the time of the end? As we look at Matthew 24, it says, And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. You know, I used to think as a kid when I read this, what does that mean by rumors of wars? But today, there are so many rumors about one country going to fight another one. Just take, for example, China has been threatening many countries. Taiwan is one of them they've been threatening. South Korea is being threatened at the present time. And the list really goes on. There are so many rumours of wars. Russia has got its army sitting on the edge of Ukraine. They haven't gone in, but they are sitting right on with thousands and thousands of troops. The Bible says that there will be rumours of wars. But it says the end is not yet. But it's close. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines. And there's that word that we know something about today. Pestilences and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Friends, that's where we are. We're at the beginning of sorrows. That's where we are. Don't ever think that this world is ever going to go back to being how it was. You're never going to go back to how things used to be. We need to get used to how things are today. In verse 9... The Bible says, and then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Verse 11. 
then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. This is just starting to happen now, friends. You may not have experienced it yourself. But in the Pentecostal church, churches of the world, there are many prophets or claiming to be people who are claiming to be prophets. I read a book of one of these supposed prophets. His name is Lance Wall now. You've probably never heard of him. He's an American. And he predicted a number of events that would happen. I think it was about 10 events that would happen over the last five or six years. It might be a little bit longer than that, but he predicted it, and he wrote it in a book. And uh, a friend of mine from Levin, who <coughs> goes to our church, um, he gave me the book to read. <coughs> and I read it, and I thought, wow, that's, that's a powerful book. There's so many predictions, and they've all happened. The only thing is, he made a prediction in his book, which didn't come true. And it happened, it's only happened in the last few months. And so I've actually pushed this guy off to the side, and I really don't, um, even though he has said some things that have come true. He has also said some things that haven't happened. If we want to listen to pastors or prophets over what the Bible says, we're going to find ourselves in trouble. It's, it's so sad to me that the Bible gives us everything we need to know, and yet we want to go to other sources to find truth. You know... I remember I read, the, I read the Bible many years ago when I wasn't a Christian, when I read the book of Revelation, thinking I could work out what was going to happen. The problem for me was I read, the book, I read the book of Revelation without the spectacles of the Holy Spirit. You can't understand the Bible without the Holy Spirit. So friends, if we're not walking with God... If we don't have an intimate relationship with him, if we're not filled with his spirit, we're never going to understand and be able to decipher what the Bible is telling us. There was another man, um, um, my friend. um, Just before I get to that, I should just talk about this. So does this mean that there's going to be no prophets in the last days? Because if Jesus had believe that, if he had known that, he would have said, don't listen to any prophet. If anyone's got anything to say, don't listen to them. But he said false prophets. So that means there must be true prophets. And I know as Adventists, we we talk about Ellen White as being our true prophet. And, And look, I accept that. But the Bible also talks about the fact that the closer we get to the end, there will be prophets that are raised up in, in, in our church and maybe other churches too. You know, the Bible says in Amos 3, 7, surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. Let's go to this one here, the, uh, the gifts of the Spirit. It's not only in Ephesians, it's in Romans and Corinthians. And Paul, who's speaking here, says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some 
prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, teachers, and so on. So we know that, talking about the New Testament church, there are going to be prophets who speak for God. But how do we know if somebody is a true prophet? What does it say in Isaiah 8, verse 20? Yeah. If they speak not according to the word, there is no light in them. This is our firm foundation. If somebody starts sharing things, I think of the story of uh, Jehoshaphat. Um, This man jumped up and prophesied, and they all believed him. He obviously must have been a prophet. The Bible doesn't use give him a name, I think, but he he jumped up and he spoke. So the Bible is clear. There will be prophets in the last days. In fact, in Acts 2.17, and we all know this is Adventist, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. You see, we're coming to a place where deception is going to be rampant. Not only in the world, and I've talked to you about the media, but in the churches. Deception is going to be something that's going to be commonplace. And how can I not be deceived? That's what we need to know. And that's why we need to be in the Word, constantly in the Word. You know, the Bible says, if a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, and if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously, and you shall not be afraid of him. Or I would say, not listen to him ever again. You see, friends, we have to work our way through this minefield that we live in. And we can do that. God has given us the tools to do it. This man used to be a Hindu. His name is Sidhu Sundar. In fact, when he became a Christian, he actually became a Seventh-day Adventist Christian in India. But sometime after that, he he moved into um, the apostolic movement. And he's part of the apostolic movement. And I've listened to his podcasts and I would, I, would, I would recommend that you don't listen to us because the guy is not... <laughs> oh, let me share some of the things that he said on his podcast. One of the things that he said was he, he said that he'd had a, he wasn't sure if it was a vision or a bodily. He'd gone to heaven. Now, we have heard Paul says in the Bible that he did that. He said, I don't know if it was bodily or in a vision. I saw some of the things that most people never see. And this guy here said that he did the same. And when he was in heaven, he said, I saw Abraham. And I thought to myself, Abraham, mm, I'm not sure that the Bible says that. But then I remembered this Bible verse. And, I, and I, so I, I, um, Matthew 27, 51 and 52 says, Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth quaked and the rocks were split and the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. 
Could one of those be Abraham? Maybe. I don't know. So I gave him the benefit of the doubt. I thought, well, you know, maybe, maybe. Except the next podcast I listened to him, he said that not only was Abraham in heaven, but Abraham Lincoln, George Washington, and many other US presidents. And they were sitting around a table praying for America, and I knew that this guy was off the beam. How did I know that he was off the beam? What does the Bible say? The dead know nothing. People do not go to heaven when they die. They wait in the grave until the Lord returns and then they are raised. You see, friends, that's a real simple one. I'm just giving you some simple principles. But we need to know what the Word says. Because as one of those... um, quotes out of the book Great Controversy said there is going to be such a fine line between truth and error that unless we can determine it by the Bible we're not going to know if what this person is doing or saying is, is, is true you know in Matthew 24 it says three times do not be deceived so Jesus said deception is going to be something that happens at the end of time and that we cannot trust what other people say. This is my last quotation, um, but most of us know it. But I wanted to use it because it's a very important one, especially where we live today. It's from the Testimonies, Volume 9, page 11. The agencies of evil are combining their forces and consolidating. They are strengthening for the last great crisis. Great changes are soon to take place in our world. And the final movements will be rapid ones. I believe, friends, that we are right here. Great changes are soon to take place. That's where we are. We're not at the end, but we are certainly getting very close to it. And I've been taking my grandson a bit to the um, play park lately and one of the things that we do is he's got this big slide and he loves to go down it but he's too scared to go on his own so he wants, he wants me to hold him while I'm going down the slide. And one of the things that I've noticed about getting on the slide is that when you start off you don't go fast to start with but you, you take off and you get faster and faster and faster and faster until you get right to the bottom. And that's what I believe is the same in this situation that the further we get into this trouble that we're in, in this world at the moment, the more rapid the movements are going to be. And if we are not grounded in the Word of God, if we're not grounded in a relationship with Jesus Christ, one or another deception will knock us off balance and we'll be lost. You know, Martin Luther made a comment about the Bible. He said, Mighty potentates have raged against this book and have sought to destroy and uproot it. 
Alexander the Great and the princes of Egypt and Babylon, the monarchs of Persia, of Greece, of Rome, the emperors Julius and Augustus Caesar. But they have prevailed nothing. They are gone. And the book remains. And it will remain forever and ever. Perfect and entire as it was declared at first. Who has thus helped it? Who has protected the Bible against such mighty forces? No one, surely, but God himself, who is the master of all things. God has preserved this book for us for today. Friends, I beseech you to open this and start reading it like you've never read it before. I want to share, as I finish, I want to tell you a bit of a story of my life. I grew up in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. When I got to about <clears throat> early 20s, I left. <clears throat> and I knew what most of the Bible taught, because I'd read it growing up. But there was one thing about the Bible that I'd never, ever used the Bible for. And you see, the Bible is not meant to be used to debate and argue with one another. The greatest use of this Bible not only is for knowledge. The greatest use of this Bible is to get to know God and hear him speak to us through his love letters. And it wasn't until 2006 that I ever read this Bible with that in mind, hearing God speak to me. And when he started speaking to me personally, it changed my life. And anyone who reads this Bible to get to know God will also, it will change your life. You know, a Christian is not someone who comes to church on the weekend. A Christian is someone who has a relationship with God. They have a relationship with Jesus Christ and they open and they read the Bible regularly. So the question is, friends, are you a Christian? Not because you go to church, but because you open the Bible and read it. That's what makes us a true Christian is opening and reading the Word of God. So the two most important points for reading the Bible is one, not to be deceived. But probably even more important is to know God. And so I, I can't think of a word more important, but I know that Ellen White, when she preached her last sermon, she held the Bible up and she said, I recommend to you the Bible. And I'm doing the same today. Friends, if I don't ever see you again, I pray that you will open the Bible and that you will read it like you've never read it before. I was challenged by somebody once before I became a true Christian. I said I'd read the Bible before, but I'd never met God. And the person said to me, 
open the Bible, read the book of John, read one chapter a day, and before you read it, ask God to reveal himself to you. And I did that. By the time I got to about chapter 9 or 10, I could feel... Well, I know now it was the Holy Spirit, but I didn't know what it was then. I felt different. I started to feel this peace, this joy that I had never experienced before. Friends, you can have that same experience. If you open the Word and you read it and you meet God, you too will have the peace and the joy that God, through the Holy Spirit, wants to give you today. And that's my prayer for each one of you. God bless you all. This message was made available by the Masterton Seventh-day Adventist Church. For more resources like this, visit mastertonsda.nz.
That was Watch and Pray from the album For Such a Time as This. And up next, Sarah Draggett will sing I Know What I'll Be Saying. My camp has been surrounded Mile after mile A thousand hosts of darkness Encamp on every side And a question lingers in my mind Where will I be tomorrow at this time? No, I don't know where I'll be But I know what I'll be saying Thus far the Lord has led me And I know that He's still leading And tomorrow, though I don't know where I'll be I know, I know what I'll be
Welcome to God's Favourite Shepherds, a collection of 39 short stories rounding out the lives of mainly lesser-known Bible characters, with many of the stories ending with a short quiz. Listen now to the author of God's Favourite Shepherds, Bill Ackland. Today's story is entitled briefly, Abishag, My Untold Story. And the basis for this story is found in the first chapter of First Kings in the Bible. King David has just passed away and now rests with his ancestors in the grave. The reason for my being taken to the palace has also passed, so I shall now return to my father's house. My earliest memories as a child were of running free over the fields of my father's farm, just outside the town of Shunem, in the territory of Issachar, Israel, in the later years of King David's reign. My mother presented me to my father several years before these happy memories. My older brothers would take delight in chasing their younger sister, so I soon became fleet of foot, though not as fast a runner as Ahimaz, the son of Zadok the priest. Several years later, they were still chasing me near my father's vineyard. Suddenly I turned and ran between the vines, leapt up into the cover of the large green leaves, imagining myself to be a sweet and juicy bunch of grapes. Of course, my brothers would not hurt me, for when they caught up with me, they would tap me on the shoulder and say, Now, see if you can catch us. Sometimes I did, but other times I was too tired from being chased myself. So I would just lie down on the soft green grass and look up into the sky. I strained my eyes to see beyond the clouds to see where God lives, but I could not see the place called heaven. I knew it was up there somewhere because the writings of Moses, kept by the priests, told of a great and powerful God who came down to this world to speak with him on Mount Sinai. He even wrote his law on tablets of stone, which are now kept safely in Jerusalem. My father, who was rather strict in his dealings with his children, was strict but kind, for he loved us all very dearly and just wanted us to grow up to honour God and become good citizens of Israel. My father worked very hard on his farm and vineyard. It is no wonder that he prospered and his flocks and herds grew to many hundreds, more than I could count when I was little. In the busy times of the year, my father would hire other men to help him bring in the harvest of wheat. The grape harvest took a lot of time too. We would eat as many grapes as we could and the rest would be put through the wine press. My mother was in charge of the home. We all loved her dearly for she was always thinking of ways to make us happy. She would not let us get away with being naughty though so it was not long before we realised what was expected of us. We were glad to be good for her and father for we knew that would please God too for he is our Heavenly Father. Mother's hands were never idle. She was a wonderful weaver and made all sorts of beautiful things to have in our home. Pretty wall hangings, spreads for our beds, and many articles of clothing. Naturally, she used our own wool from some of our sheep, which were the best of all in all of Shunem. Another important thing Mother taught me and my brothers was that we should never become involved in an intimate way with the opposite sex. That would break God's holy law and bring dishonour upon our family. 
We knew that it was the best to keep ourselves pure until we got married. Our joy then would be complete. As well as playing around our farm with my brothers, some children from the nearby farms would come over to our farm. We would invent all sorts of games to keep ourselves amused. There were still many wild animals in the land of Israel at that time. We tried to imitate them, roaring like a lion, as we crept up each other where we were hiding. This almost frightened us out of our skin, for the boys especially were able to make wild animal noises sound very real. As the years passed and we started to mature in our bodies, a neighbour boy who used to come over to play with us sometimes started looking at me a little strangely. I felt uncomfortable when he did this because he just stared at me. So I asked him, why are you looking at me like that? My question took him unawares and he flushed a bright red through his swarthy complexion and said, sorry, but I just can't help it. You are so beautiful. It was then my turn to be taken aback. We had only one mirror in the house and that was a very highly polished plate of brass which mother used mostly. We children ever looked at ourselves in it. Sometimes we would look into a still pool of water after the rain and make funny faces at ourselves but we never did it out of vanity. We were what we were and didn't think any more about it. But when the neighbour boy couldn't keep his eyes off me, I had the first stirrings of something I'd not felt before. I gathered up courage to tell my mother what had happened. In her wise, motherly way, she said, My dear Abby, boys and those older than your friends could not help noticing that you are a very lovely young woman. I had the same thing happen to me when I was your age until I married your father, and then it just suddenly stopped. Your father was a big, strong man, you know, she said, with a knowing smile that lit up her still beautiful face. I thought that would have been the end of it for me. How wrong I was. One day, right out of the blue, some important men from King David's palace visited our home in Shunem. We live quite a long way from Jerusalem, much closer to the Sea of Chinnereth. So I wondered why these important people should come all the way here. They spoke to my parents for a little while, and then my father called for me. I must admit that I was a little fearful, but I tried to hide my nervousness by bowing politely to the palace officials. Ah, yes, their leader said to the others when he looked at me, I believe we have found the one we are looking for. I cast a questioning look at my mother, who gave me a reassuring smile. My father spoke and said, My daughter, King David is very old, as you may know, and he has a condition that prevents his body from keeping warm. He just cannot sleep because he's cold all the time. These honoured officials of our king have been searching for a lovely young woman to minister to him like a nurse and give him warmth from her body at night, not as married couples do, but to help him to stay alive. Otherwise, this condition may bring him to his grave. I could not speak for a moment. Everyone was looking at me intently, wondering if I would be willing to go to Jerusalem. Eventually, I was able to speak and said, I have never heard of such a thing before. But if you agree, mother and father, then I am willing to go to help the king, for he has been a wonderful leader of our nation. 
The palace officials were all smiles, for their search was now at an end. I needed the rest of the day to prepare for the journey to Jerusalem. Our visitors stayed overnight, left some gifts with my parents, and then I was on my way with them to the city to fulfil my role in the palace in the best way that I could. If I could help to keep the king alive and comfortable, then I was willing to do that. It was not long, though, before King David's days on earth came to an end and he passed away peacefully in his sleep one night. This is the brief story of my young life and the unusual role I fulfilled in the closing stages of the life of King David of Israel. What awaits me in the future, only the Lord God of heaven and earth knows. You've been listening to God's Favoured Shepherds, a book with 39 short stories rounding out the lives of mainly lesser-known Bible characters. If you have any comments or questions, or to obtain a copy of this book, give us a call within Australia on 02-4973-3456 or send an email to radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. We'd love to hear from you. This program has been brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.